They found Pismire already fully occupied. Glurk had been out hunting and had come back with a wild pig, or at least the statue of one. There was a whole herd of these, Glurk was saying. He tapped the pig with his spear. It went, Should be oink, he told them. Not boing. Pismire took Snibril's knife and wrapped the mule on the chest. It went, Bing! Should go, Oh! said Glurk. Are they dead? asked Snibril. Not sure, said Pismire. Look! Snibril looked into the mule's eyes. Deep in them there was something, just a flicker, a tiny imprisoned spark in the pool of darkness. Snibril shuddered. Amazing, said Pismire. Premature fossilization. And I didn't know there were any termagants in these parts. Tonight's guards had better be picked for their hearing. Why? said Glurk. Because they'd better wear blindfolds. Why? There was a shout, and Wyno Berius came running up with one of his hounds in his arms. Heard him bark! he gasped. Went to find him! Found him! Like this! The dog was still in a crouched position, ready to spring. What's a termagant? asked Snibril. There have been quite a lot of descriptions of their back view, said Pismire. Unfortunately, no one who's looked at one from the front has been able to tell us much. They get turned to stone. Amazing! Thought they'd all died out. That night, ten men stood around the ring, their eyes tightly shut. Snibril was among them, and he stood by Roland, who wore blinkers. And they did it the next night, too, and the one after that. And then, on the third night, Snibril was on guard by one of the carts, almost asleep, when he heard a shuffling noise behind him. Something big was in the bushes. He was about to spin around when he heard the jingle of metal. It's here he thought. It's right behind me. If I turn around, I'll be turned to stone. But if I don't turn around, will I be turned to supper? He stood quite still for a hundred years or so. After a while, the shuffling grew fainter, and he risked the briefest look. In the dim light, he could see something bulky, at least twice as tall as he was, disappearing among the hairs. He found Roland, and quickly put his bridle on, and then he led the horse very quietly in the direction of the jingling. The termagant was so old that he couldn't remember a time when he'd been young. He could dimly remember when there had been other termagants, but he was strong then, and had driven them out. Later on, there had been a people who had worshipped him and built a temple for him to live in, thinking that he was some kind of a god. After he had turned many of them to statues, the ones that were left had fled and left him in his temple. He had no company now. He was probably the last termagant in the carpet. Sometimes he went to find some company. Anything would do, just some other living things. He wouldn't even eat them. But it never worked. He only had to get near, and they'd get stiff and cold and unfriendly for some reason. 
Snibril and Roland had reached the ruined temple. Around him, lit by a faint glow, Snibril could see fallen walls littered with statues. In the centre of the temple there was a ruined altar, and that was the source of the glow. On it, and around it, were piled treasures. By the treasure was another statue. It was a small warrior, hardly half Snibril's height. Magnificent moustaches hung down almost to its waist. In one hand it held a sword and a round shield, in the other a necklace of glittering salt crystals. Its face was turned up in an expression of surprise. Snibril tethered Roland to a pillar and shuddered. He padded over to the mound of treasure and stared in awe. He stood and stared and saw the warrior out of the corner of his eye, hand reaching out. That was why he'd come, and the termagant had found him. There was a jingling noise. Snibril saw a reflection in the statue's polished shield. It showed something scaly and very nearly shapeless. It's in the doorway, Snibril thought, right behind me. But if I turn around... He unhooked the shield, holding it up so that he could see over his shoulder. The termagant jingled. It peered at the altar and sniffed. Even in the shield the eyes frightened Snibril. Roland gave a whinny, but it ended in the mid-air. Then there was another statue in the cold hall. Snibril thought desperately. The termagant began to jingle towards him. Snibril turned, holding the polished shield before his eyes. Under it he could see the termagant's feet scraping towards him. They were bony and clawed. He started to back away, and then the termagant stopped, for it had seen another termagant. There, in the shield, a scaly green face looked back at it. For a moment the creature had found company. Then, because he was shaking with fear, Snibril tilted the shield. The face vanished. After a moment of shocked silence, the termagant let out a howl of anguish that echoed around the hairs. A massive foot stamped. Then the creature collapsed on the floor, put its paws over its eyes, and began to sob. It wasn't only terrifying, it was also embarrassing. Nothing should have that many tears in it. Snibril watched the pool of tears spread out over the floor and touched the statue of a hare hog by the wall. It twitched its nose. Wider and wider went the pool. Some statues awoke as it touched them. Little creatures swam valiantly to freedom. Snibril scooped up the tears in the shield and splashed them over Roland. He ran to the warrior by the treasure and drenched him. Nothing happened for a moment. An eyelid flickered. The little warrior was suddenly very much alive. He dropped the necklace and glowered at Snibril. Cones, bones, where did you spring from? Then he saw the termagant in its pool of tears. How long have I been here, stranger? I don't know. This is the third year after the second counting in the reign of the Emperor Targon at Ware, said Snibril. You're a Dumai, said the release statue. Sort of. I'm not said the little warrior proudly. We don't count. But I've heard of Targon. Before I came here, it was the twenty-second year of his rule. Then you must have been here a year, 
said Snibril. A year. A year away, said the dwarf warrior. Far too long, he bowed solemnly. You shall be rewarded for this. I, Brocando, son of Brock, lord of Geopard, king of the deft meanies, promise you that. I didn't do it for any reward, said Snibril. I just wanted the thing to stop turning everything into statues. Brocando flourished his sword. One year of my life, he shouted. I'll make it pay for that. Snibril looked at the termagant again. It was lying quite still. I don't think there's much more you can do to it, he said. It looks miserable enough to me. Brocando hesitated. You may be right, he said. There is no revenge on a witless beast. With a soft jingling, the termagant raised its head and opened its eyes. Snibril went to lift his shield, and it slipped out of his hands, rolling down the steps. The termagant stopped it clumsily with a claw, and turned it awkwardly until it could see itself again. To Snibril's amazement, it began to coo at its reflection, and lay back again with the mirror cuddled in its arms. And then the termagant, with a clank, died. They dragged it up the steps and buried it under the altar stone. Snibril remembered the animals back at the camp and collected some of the tear puddle into a small jewel case from the heap. Actually, Snibril began as they rode away, I wouldn't mind just a small reward. Certainly. My tribe needs somewhere to stay for a while, to repair the wagons and so on. Somewhere where we don't have to look over our shoulders all the time. Easily granted. My city is yours. My people will welcome you. Are they all small like you? said Snibril without thinking. We deft meanies are correctly built, said Brocando. It's no business of ours if everyone else is ridiculously overgrown. They arrived at the camp just in time to stop the search party that was setting out. Brocando immediately became the centre of attention, something which he enjoyed and was obviously used to. Snibril was more or less forgotten, more or less. "'Where have you been?' asked Pismire, relieved and angry. "'Wandering off like that. Don't you know there are moles about?' "'I'm sorry,' said Snibril. "'Things just happened.' "'Well, never mind now,' said Pismire. "'What's happening over there now? Doesn't any one of your muddle-headed people know how to welcome a king?' "'I don't think so,' said Snibril.' Brocando was in the centre of a crowd of chattering, staring Munrungs, beaming benevolently. "'There I was,' he was saying, "'one step away from the treasure, when jingle. There it was, behind me.' Pismire elbowed his way through the crowd, removed his hat, bowed till his beard touched the ground, and stuck there, confronting a surprised Brocando with a tangle of white locks. "'Greetings, O King,' said the old man. "'Honoured are we!' that so great a son of so noble an ancestry should deem us worthy to, um, worthy, um, I am Pismire, a humble philosopher. This is, he snapped his fingers wildly at Glurk. Come on, come on, protocol is very important. Bow down to the king. What's the king? said Glurk, looking round blankly. Show some respect, said Pismire. What for? Snibril rescued him, didn't he? Snibril saw Bane standing at the back of the crowd with folded arms and a grim expression. 
He hadn't liked school intrigue on Marus, but he'd learned some things. The Dumaii didn't like kings. They preferred emperors because they were easier to get rid of. And on the way back from the temple, he'd asked Brocando what he'd meant when he said his people didn't count. It meant they had nothing to do with the Dumaii. Hate them, Brocando had said bluntly. They'd turn everything into things to count. They'd make the hairs of the carpet grow in rows if they could, and worst of all, they obey orders. They'd rather obey orders than think. That's how their empire works. And now he was about to be introduced to one of them. At which point Bricando amazed him. He walked up to Glurk and shook him warmly by the hand. So, you're the chieftain, are you? he said. Amazing. Your brother here told me all about you. It must be an incredibly difficult job. Highly skilled, too, I shouldn't wonder. Oh, you know, you pick it up as you go along, Glurk muttered, taken aback. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Fascinating. Did you have some sort of special training? Um, no. Uh, Dad died, and they just gives me the spear and said you're the chief, said Glurk. Really? We shall have to have a serious chinwag about this later on, said Bricando. Jolly good. And this must be General Banius Catrix, I believe. General, Snibril thought. Bane nodded. You know each other? said Snibril. Oh, yes, said Bricando. The Dumaii kept sending armies to see us, and suggest most politely that we submit and be part of their empire. We always told them we didn't want to join. We weren't going to be counted. I think it was the paying of taxes you objected to, Your Majesty, said Bane calmly. We didn't see what we would get for our money, said Bricando. You would be defended, said Bane. Ah! But we've always been quite good at defending ourselves, said Bricando in a meaningful tone of voice. And then the general here was sent to suggest it to us again with a little more force, he said. I remember he said that he was afraid that if we did not join the empire, there would be hardly any of us to be counted. And you said there'd be hardly anyone left to do the counting, said Bane. Snibril looked from one to the other. And then what happened? he said. Bane shrugged. I didn't attack, he said. I didn't see why good people should die. I went back and told the Emperor that Bracando's people would make better allies than unwilling subjects. Anyway, only a fool would attack that city. I always wondered what he replied, said Bracando. Bane looked down at his ragged clothes. He, um... "'Shouted quite a lot,' he said. "'There was a thoughtful pause. "'They did attack, you know, after you... Uh, "'been recalled,' said Bricando. "'Did they win?' "'Nah. "'You see? "'Fools,' said Bane. "'Snibril took each of them by the shoulder. "'Anyway,' he said, "'just because you're sworn enemies "'doesn't mean you can't be friends, does it?' When they were having the evening meal, Glurk said to his wife, "'He's very gracious. Asked all about me. I've met a king. He's very important. He's called Protocol, I think.' "'Good name. Sounds loyal,' she said. "'And Pismire's a philosopher,' he says. "'I never knew that. What's a philosopher?' 
Someone who thinks, he says, said Clerk. Well, you think. I've often seen you sitting and thinking. I don't always think, said Clerk conscientiously. Sometimes I just sit. He sighed. Anyway, it's not just thinking. You've got to be able to talk about it entertainingly afterwards. The people turned west. It was a cheerful journey to Geopard, with Bracando riding by the leading cart. They were going somewhere that only a fool would attack. Many of the Munrungs were frankly in awe of the small king, but Glurk was fast becoming an uncritical royalist. Bracando sensed his respectful audience and chatted to him in that special way royalty has for commoners, which leaves the commoner feeling really cheered up without actually remembering very much about what was said to him. Gradually, the carpet changed colour again, from red to deep purple and then dark blue. The track began to turn into a road, a neatly laid track of thick planks on a bank of dust. On either side, the hairs grew thinner, and Snibril noticed many stumps, that was not all. No Munrung ever planted a seed. They liked vegetables when they could get them, but except for Pismire's private herb garden, everything that grew around them grew wild. But in the blue land of Jabonia, around the little city of Geopard, the Deftminis had turned the carpet into a garden. There were hairs there that even Pismire hadn't seen before. Delicate stems, their branches laden with fruit. The travellers were shown ripe purple groads that tasted of pepper and ginger and big master mushrooms that could be dried and stored for years and still kept their delicate flavour. "'Where are the people?' asked Clerk. "'All this didn't grow by being whistled at.' There were no people. The fruit hung heavy in the bushes along the roadside, but there were none to pick it. Snibril took up his spear. This was like hunting.' You learned about the different kinds of silence. There was one very sharp, hot kind of silence made by someone there watching. Bane had drawn his sword. They looked at one another. Shall we leave the carts here? said Snibril. Safer to stick together. The carts moved on slowly. The bushes just up on the right there, Bane said without moving his head. I think so too, said Snibril. They're in there watching us. Just one, I think, said Snibril. I could put a spear into it from here, no trouble, said Glurk. No, we might want to ask it questions afterwards, said Bane. We'll circle around it on either side. Snibril crept towards the bush around one side of a hare. Bane was on the other side of it, and Glurk, who could walk very quietly for such a big man, appeared as if by some kind of magic in front of it, with his spear raised. Ready? Ready. Yeah. Bane took hold of a dust frond and tugged. A small child looked up at three trembling blades. It said, and ten minutes later, a small group of deft meanies were labouring in the vegetable lines between the hairs. They didn't look happy, or, for that matter, very well fed. Several guards were watching them. Even from here, Snibril could see the long snouts. Among the hairs 
was Jeopard itself. It was built on a piece of grit. The actual city was a cluster of buildings at the very top. Glurk crawled up beside Snibrel. There's moors and snogs everywhere, he said. The whole place is crawling with them. They've got the city, said Snibrel. Glurk nodded. Come on, said Snibrel. Let's get back to the camp. Pismire, Bane and Bracando were sitting in a semicircle, watching the little boy drinking soup. My own brother, growled Bracando as the others slipped into the camp. Turn my back for a few days. A year, said Bane. And he calls himself king. I never did like anti-rock, always skulking and muttering and not keen on sports. But how did Mools get into the city? said Snibril. He let them in. Tell the man, Strefon. The boy was about seven years old and looked terrified. I, they, they, they were, everyone fought, he stuttered. Come on, come on, out with it, lad. I think, said Bane, that perhaps you ought to wander off for a minute or two. Perhaps he might find it easier to talk. I am his king. That's what I mean. Bricando grumbled, but wandered off with Glurk and Snibril. Ah, brothers, he muttered. Nothing but trouble, eh? Plotting and skulking and hanging around, usurping. Glurk felt he had to show solidarity with the unofficial association of older brothers. Snibril never kept his room tidy, I know that, he said. When they got back, Strephon was wearing Bane's helmet and looking a lot more cheerful. If you want it in grown-up language, Bane said, your brother took over the throne when you didn't come back. He wasn't very popular, there was quite a lot of fighting. So when a pack of mules arrived one day, he invited them in. He wouldn't, said Bricando. He thought he could hire them as mercenaries to fight for him. Well, they fought all right. They say he's still king. Although no one has seen him, the mules do all the ruling. A lot of people ran away. The rest are slaves, more or less, quarrying grit, forced labour in the fields. The mules don't look as if they'd be interested in vegetables, said Snibril. They eat meat. Pismire's words sunk in like rocks. He gave the word a particular edge that suggested not ordinary meat. Bracando went white. Do you mean... They eat animals, said Pismire miserably. Unfortunately, they consider everything that's not a mole is an animal. Um, do you know what the word mole means in mole language? It means true human beings. This sunk in, too. We'll attack tonight, said Bracando. No one's eating my subjects. Um, said Glurk. Uh, yes, said Bane. Yes, indeed, fine. Five thousand soldiers couldn't attack Geopard. That's true, said Bracando. So we... Um, said Glurk. Yes, said Bracando. The chieftain appeared to have something on his mind. I've heard one or two references just recently to we, he said. I just want to get this sorted out. No offence. As a reward for rescuing you, 
we're now going to attack this city that no amount of Dumai soldiers could capture and fight a lot of moors. Have I got it right, yes? Good man, said Bricando. I knew we could depend on you. I shall need half a dozen stout-hearted men. I think I can let you have one astonished one, said Glurk. We've got to help, said Snibril. Sooner or later we've got to fight these things. It might as well be here. Well done, said Bricando. Glurk nudged Snibril. Have we just volunteered for practically certain death? I think we may have, yes. This kinging is amazing, said Glurk. If we get out of this, I think I'm going to try to learn it. The Whites built the city of Geopard. They brought red wood and sparkling varnish from a chair leg to pave its streets. From the heartlands they led great caravans of the rare jet to be made into domes and cornices, and cinder and ash for bricks and mortar. Everywhere there were gardens. In the evening light it looked peaceful, but they had to lie low twice when more cavalry went past on the road. There's another way into the city, said Bricando. I didn't know that said Bane. Didn't you? said Bricando. Amazing! All that trouble to build a secret passage, and we forgot to tell the Emperor. Turn right into that little hidden track there. What track? Bricando grinned. Good, isn't it? he said. It looked like an animal path. It wound round and about the hares. The dust bushes were much thicker here. Planted, said Bricando. Eventually, when it was almost dark, they reached a small glade with another ruined temple in it. This one was built to look ruined, said Bricando, by the whites, for one of my ancestors. He hesitated. And you're a Dumai, and I've brought you to the secret place, he said. I should have you blindfolded. No, said Bane. You want me to fight for you, then I'm wearing no blindfold. But one day you might come back with an army. This is stupid, said Snibril. You've got to trust one another sooner or later. You're men of honour, aren't you? It's not as simple as that, said Bricando. Then make it simple. He realised he had shouted. Even Glurk was surprised. Bricando nodded. Pull Brock's arm. What? said Bane. Behind you, on the statue, pull the arm, said Bricando. Bane shrugged and reached for the arm. There was a grinding noise somewhere under their feet. A slab in the temple floor slid aside, showing a flight of steps. It'll lead to the palace, said Bricando, grinning. They stared into the square of darkness. Finally, Glurk said, You don't mean into the underlay? Yes. But, but there's terrible things down there. Just stories for children, said Bricando. He trotted down the steps. Bane went to follow him, and then looked back at the Munrungs. What's the matter? he said. Snibril looked around at the other tribesmen. He thought, at times like this, we all have to forget old things. Nothing's the matter, he said. Come on, lads. Last one ends up... Never mind about the last one, muttered a voice. We want to see what happens to the first one. Snibril tripped at the bottom of the stairs and landed on a pile of soft dust. Bricando was lighting a torch. One by one, the band shuffled down. The walls showed up brown in the torchlight and were covered with tiny hairs that glittered as the light passed them. 
but there were no monsters, no sudden teeth. The path began to slope down, and suddenly the light from Rokando's torch dimmed. Snibril started before he realised that they were entering a cavern under the carpet with walls so far away that the light was not reflected from them. They passed through many great caverns, the path narrowing and spiralling up around great columns of hair so that they had to cling to stay on it. Eventually, Brocando called a halt. There was a narrow bridge stretching across an abyss, and Snibril could just make out a door on the far side. The king held up the torch and said, We're right underneath the rock now. You are the only people apart from the kings of Geopard to see this. After the secret passage was dug, Brock had all the workers personally put to death to stop the secret escaping. Oh, that's part of King In too, is it? said Glurk. It used to be, said Brocando. Not any more, of course. When they had crossed the bridge, Brocando pushed the little wooden door open, revealing a spiral staircase lit by green light filtering down from a tiny circle of light. It was a long climb up the winding staircase. Ghostly as it was, Snibril welcomed it. He hated the darkness under the carpet. The stairway opened onto a little landing, just big enough to hold them all. There was another door in the wall. Well, Clerk began. Brocando shook his head and put his finger to his lips. There were voices on the other side of the door. Snibril tried to imagine faces. One voice was thin and whiny, already raised in complaint. Another hundred... But you took fifty only a few days ago. And now we need another hundred, said a soft voice that made Snibril's hair prickle. I advise you to sign this paper, Your Majesty, and my guards will gather together this hundred and be gone. They will not be slaves, just assistants. I don't know why you don't just... Take them, said the first voice sulkily. But you are the king, said the second voice. It must be right if the king says so. Everything signed and proper. Snibril thought he could hear Bane grinning in the darkness. But no one ever comes back, said first voice. The third voice was like a rumble. They like it so much in our lands, we just cannot persuade them to return, it said. I don't believe you, said first voice. Sign. No, I will not. I am king. And you think that I, who made you king, can't unmake you, said the second voice. Sign. Or perhaps Gorash here can find some other use for your hands. Brocando turned to face the others. That's my brother, he said. Such as he is, here's the plan. We rush in and we kill as many moors as possible. You think that's a clever plan? said Bane. Sounds sensible to me, said Clerk. But there's hundreds in the city, aren't there? said Bane. 
My people will rise up and overthrow them, hissed Bricando. Have they got any weapons then? said Bane. No, but the moors have, so they'll start by getting their weapons off them, said Bricando placidly. Bane groaned. We're all going to die, he said. This isn't tactics, this is just making it up as you go along. Let's start now, then, said Bricando. He put his foot against the door and pushed. It moved a fraction and then stopped. They all put their shoulders to it. It resisted for a moment and then flew open. There was a shriek. For a second the hall was motionless. Snibril saw a throne lying on the floor. It had blocked the door. A thin, deft meanie was struggling underneath it, making pathetic little noises. Beyond it, two mules were standing, staring at the open doorway. One was big, wide-shouldered, with a pale face almost hidden in his leather helmet. He held a coiled whip in one great paw. Voice three, Snibril thought. He even looks as though he should be called Gorash. Beside him stood a thin mule, wearing a long black cloak and a grin like a wolf that's just had dinner. Voice two, said Snibril to himself. Bracando whirred forward like an enraged chicken waving his sword. The thin mule leapt backwards and drew its own sword with disheartening swiftness. Gorash uncircled his whip, but found that Bane was suddenly between him and the king. The Munrungs watched. There seemed to be two ways of sword-fighting. Bracando went at it like a windmill, pushing the enemy back by sheer effort. Bane fought quietly, like some kind of machine. Stamp, thrust, parry. Tick, tock, tick. Shouldn't we help? said Snibril. No, ten to two isn't fair, said Glurk. The doors at the end of the throne room burst open, and a dozen mall guards ran towards them. Oh, this is better then, is it? said Snibril. Glurk threw his spear. One of the guards screamed. Yes, he said. Snibril found that spears fought well against swords if you didn't throw them. They could prod, and they could parry. And as more guards poured into the room, he realised that it also helped if you were outnumbered. It made it easier to hit an enemy, for one thing. And then it was over. The few remaining guards fell over one another to get out of the door. Gorash was dead. The skinny mule died through the open doorway to the secret passage. They heard it running down the steps. Well, that wasn't too hard, said Glurk. There's hundreds more out there, said Bane gloomily. Bracando went to the balcony. Early morning light was flooding across the hairs. He cupped his hands around his mouth. I'm back! Bracando! He picked up a dead mule, dragged it to the balcony, and pushed it over. There were already some deaf meanies in the square below the palace. A shout went up. The king rubbed his hands together. Help me with the throne, he said. It took three of them to lift it up. Underneath it was Antirock, who hung limply from Glurk's grip as he was hauled to his feet. Give me the crown, said Bracando in deadly tones. It's the thing on your head, the thing that doesn't belong to you. Wait. Thought you were dead. You look overjoyed to see me back, said Bracando. His expression was terrible. Someone had to be king. I had to do my best for the people. 
There was a commotion outside. Half a dozen Daphneys bore down with grim determination on Antirock, who was snatched from Glurk's grasp and hustled towards the balcony. You can't let them do that," said Snibril. Four Daphneys had hold of Antirock's arms and legs and were swinging him backwards and forwards high over the roofs of Geopard. A one, a two, a three," they chanted. "Why not?" said Bricando. He's your brother, hmm? Oh, all right. Put him down, people," said Bricando. "I can't have you subjects throwing my family over the balcony. That would never do." "Good," said Snibril. "I'll do it myself." "No!" It was a chorus. "Just joking," said Bricando, who didn't look it. "All right then. He can go." Antirock fell onto his hands and knees. You can't do that. They'll kill me. All those people whose relatives you sold to the Moors," said Bricando. "Dear me. Of course you can follow your friend." He waved towards the passage doorway. Antirock looked horrified. "But Gormalish went down there," he wailed. "Was that his name?" Said Bricando, "You can talk about old times." Antirock looked imploringly at Bricando, hesitated for a moment, and then dashed for the doorway. It slammed behind him. Snibril sat outside the palace stables, watching Roland investigate the contents of a nosebag. Snibril could hear the celebrations going on in the main hall. When Snibril had wandered out, Glurk had been delighting everybody by lifting twenty deft meanie children on a bench and carrying them around the hall. Snibril patted Roland absently. "Well, here we are," said Snibril, "and can't even remember which direction our old village lies in. Bricando says we can stay here as long as we like, forever even, safe and sound." But Bain says he's going on to wear tomorrow, just in case. And my ears hurt. Roland shifted uneasily. Snibril raised his head and heard the night breeze die away. The hairs were silent. He felt a pricking sensation in his feet. The headache felt like a fire now. Snibril remembered this feeling, but he thought, "Not here, surely." Where it was also safe. Yes, he told himself, even here, Frey can be anywhere. He turned and ran up the steps into the palace. Frey! He shouted. In the din, no one heard. Frey is coming! He shouted louder. Coming here? Said Pismire. Can't you feel it? Can't you feel it? Snibril was desperate with impatience and pain. Get to the carts," snapped Bismire. "I can't feel anything," said Bricando. "Anyway, Geopard is safe from any enemy." Bismire pointed upwards. There were big candle chandeliers hanging from the ceiling. They had begun to swing very gently. "Run for it! Get everyone outside!" Bricando shouted. The Munrungs were already streaming through the door. There was a far-off thump. The whole rock shook. The heavy lintel over the door shivered and sagged. Glurk strode forward among the bewildered throng and put his shoulders under it, and stood with one hand braced against each doorpost, while people scrambled under his arms and between his legs. 
Snibril was already leading the screaming ponies out of their stable. No sooner was each cart moving than it was loaded down with people. He lifted four deft meanies onto Roland's back and sent the horse after the carts, then struggled through the flow to the hall. Glurk had been forced almost to his knees, his face purple. Snibril grabbed an arm. Come on, the whole building is going to go. No, came the low growl. Is Moya and the others still in there? Another tremor shook the hall. A pillar cracked and Glurk grunted. Get out of the way, came a whisper from deep in his throat. It's gonna go. The rock shook underfoot. Oh, I'll get some people with beams and things, said Snibril. We'll soon have you out. Don't go away, Glurk grunted as Snibril hurried away. Pismire appeared through the smoke. What are you doing still here? he said. Going to be in a story, said Glurk. Bane groped his way out of the billows. Come on, he said. Bracando's got the secret door open. Help me with this idiot, said Pismire. Looks wedged to me, said Bane. Gonna be a hero, said Glurk. Bone-headed, I call it, said Pismire. I saved a lot, Glurk began. Then he toppled over. Grab him, said Pismire. That wall's falling in. They took an arm each and stumbled out of the way as the lintel thudded into the floor, splitting it. Quickly! Bracando was standing by the door to the stairway. Come on! The whole roof fell in. They ran down the steps, the others carrying Glurk between them like a battering ram. Not out of the hairs yet, panted Bracando. What? Mean, puffed Pismire. No, torches! They piled into the little door at the bottom of the steps and lay panting in the blackness. Do you think you can find the way to the statue in the dark? said Bane. That was the first time I've ever been down here, wailed Bracando. But there must be other entrances, said Pismire. He thought of the deep crevasses and windy caves of Underlay and the stories of the creatures that dwelt there. Of course he didn't believe in them. He shivered. He hoped they didn't believe in him. If we keep together and test every step, we should be safe, came Bracando's unsteady voice. There's four of us. What would dare attack us? Lots of things. Apart from them. Glurk got heavier and heavier as the hours passed. They carried him head first and feet first, sometimes propping him up against a hair root while they inched hand in hand along strange paths. Eventually they sat down for a rest. What's below underlay? said Bracando. The floor, said Pismire's voice out of darkness. What's below that? Nothing. That's as far as there is. You might as well ask what's above the carpet. It was strange talking to people when everything was completely black. Please, Maya, said Bracando. What now? What about moles? Do they come down here? It's your tunnel. You should know. I can't imagine why they'd want to, though. Correct. There was silence. Was that you? I thought it was you. Bracando? Miss Meyer? 
Bane? What? You see, said Gormalish's voice by Pismire's ear, we can see in the dark. Claws gripped them as easily as a child grips a toy. Well, well, said Gormalish from somewhere nearby. What an unexpected treat. Is my brother with you? said Brocando. After a pause, Gormalish said, in a manner of speaking, Now you will do what I say. The little king will hold on to Purgish's tail, the old man hold on to the king's belt, the Dumai soldier hold on to the old man's belt. Anyone try to run away, that person is a dead person. Bracando, who could count quite quickly for a king, said, But what about Ow? Sorry, said Pismire, who could count faster. Did I accidentally kick you? Well, he's right. He's got all three of us. But we can't leave the Ow. Oh, yes, of course, yes, I see. You're right. Bracando's voice suddenly took on the kind of excited conspiratorial tone that would have made anyone smell a rat who didn't already smell like a mule. All three of us, yes, you've definitely got all three of us. How well can you see in the dark, incidentally? Probably not one hundred percent, eh? Oh, no, Pismire thought. How can they not get suspicious after that? Ow! said Gormalish. Mool scum, said Bane. When I get out, I'll... There was the sound of a slap in the darkness. When you get out, said Gormalish, you will do exactly as I say. Bring them along. Well done, thought Pismire. Bane can count fast as well. They were marched along in a shuffling single file for quite a short time. They must have been close to a way up to the surface. Pismire felt his hands guided to a ladder. We're going up and out, he thought. If Glurk wakes up, how will he know? He climbed a few steps and then let himself drop again. Ow! My leg! Ow! The noise echoed around the caves of Underlay. "'What is the matter with your leg, old man?' said Gormalish. "'Um, nothing,' said Pismire, and climbed back up the ladder. "'And if Glurk hasn't heard that, we're done for.'